Although patients and physicians believe that they should discuss out-of-pocket costs related with respect to treatment plans, research suggests that physicians rarely discuss these issues. What are some of the barriers preventing patient-physician communication about out-of-pocket costs? On this segment of the Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, we'll discuss these. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host today. Joining me today is Dr. Caleb Alexander, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Chicago, and we're going to discuss some of the results of his research concerning patient-physician communication about out-of-pocket costs. Dr. Alexander, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, before we get into the findings of your study, why did you even think of doing this study? During my training as a resident in a busy inpatient setting, I often noticed that we seem to rarely consider costs during the course of clinical care. Now, this may make good sense. Hospitalized patients are often quite sick, and often the care is not really discretionary. If someone comes in and presents with heart failure and really needs an echo, the costs of the echo itself may or may not be what's on the clinicians and patients' mind. But that clinical observation led me to wonder how often patients and doctors consider costs in the outpatient setting, and in particular, patients' out-of-pocket costs. These costs, which include deductibles, co-payments, and upper limits and coverage, can be terribly important to patients, and naturally, patients may have a greater stake in their out-of-pocket costs than the overall cost of their care, that is, costs that are picked up by their health plan. So I was interested in looking at how patients and doctors communicate about out-of-pocket costs in the outpatient setting. So by doing the study, you realize that they do not communicate about it. It's rarely discussed. Tell me a little bit about the study and uh, the scope and the structure. Sure. Well, we selected a group of about 125 general internists in the Chicago metropolitan area, as well as, for each internist, three of their patients. And we surveyed patients shortly following a clinic visit, and we surveyed the physicians at the end of the day. And what we asked the patients and doctors were whether they had discussed out-of-pocket costs during that visit, whether they had ever discussed out-of-pocket costs with each other. And we asked an additional set of questions examining attitudes and beliefs and barriers about discussions. So what did you find from first the patients? Well, we found that many patients were burdened by their out-of-pocket costs. And here we focus primarily on prescription costs since 65 or 70 percent of office visits end with a prescription being written or renewed. So we found first that they were burdened by their out-of-pocket costs, and second, that there were many sources of burden or that this burden manifested in many different ways. A significant proportion reported skipping or stretching medicines within the past 12 months. Others reported other types of burdens, such as problems paying bills. We found that despite this burden, that they reported that they frequently discussed their out-of-pocket costs with their physician. And then when you talk to the physicians at the end of the day, were the docs aware of things? I mean, obviously, they were in this study, so they were thinking about it more. But did they really discuss it and, and make decisions based upon costs? So the docs actually were not told at the beginning of the study that our particular focus. And so they actually weren't aware that we were focused exclusively on out-of-pocket costs and communication about these costs. And what we found is that although the docs reported that these sorts of discussions were important, that they rarely occurred. So it seemed like both patients and doctors felt that discussions about out-of-pocket costs could be important. Mm -hmm. We found that a significant proportion of patients were burdened by these costs, and yet we found that these discussions rarely occurred. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the articles I read in the New York Times, April 1st, 2008, talks about how my giving drug samples to the patient 
I thought was actually helping them, but actually there's a paradoxical effect. Yeah, I mean, this is a really uh, complex and contentious issue. And, you know, I think people will be debating the merits and drawbacks of free samples until the cows come home. I mean, there's just a complicated set of issues involved. And I think it would be simplistic to say samples are good or samples are bad. But the bottom line is that uh, from this study, we found that recipients of free samples were more likely to have higher out-of-pocket prescription costs during and following periods of sample receipt than their counterparts. Now, there are two complementary explanations for this finding. The first is that free sample recipients are sicker than their counterparts. And although we did attempt to account for how sick the patients were, it's still always possible that there's unmeasured illness that's associated with free sample receipt, but also associated with higher prescription costs. That is, the relationship isn't causal. But we also found some evidence that free sample recipients may go on to fill prescriptions that they're first getting as free samples. And so I think these explanations are likely complementary. Now, it seems that the drug companies, obviously, they like giving us samples. They encourage it. They have all these cards, loyalty cards, discount cards. I I mean, I I can't keep them straight. But obviously, they want to get patients on a more expensive medicine, and they know if they give it free for a while that eventually the patient will want to stay on that medicine. Sure. Well, I I mean, I think if you were to ask an industry representative, what they would say is that samples serve a valuable uh, purpose by helping to familiarize doctors and patients with new medicines, and that these medicines represent clinical innovations, and that samples are used to help familiarize doctors with these medicines, but that doctors ultimately should naturally follow good sound rules of clinical prescribing and use them as appropriate. That so, is so that's what they would say. Okay. And what would you say? Well, I would say the issues are complex and that not all samples are equal. That is, there are some settings in which free samples may really represent uh, important clinical innovations and may serve a valuable purpose. And there are other settings where they may not. Uh, I will say that I think that all too often Uh, physicians and patients alike may fail to recognize the ways that samples do shape clinical prescribing practices. But I think that it's hard to generalize across all therapeutic classes and all prescriptions. And so I think certainly further work needs to be done. And I think it's certainly the case that many patients may receive samples and continue to take the medicine that's initially used as a sample long term when there actually are cheaper alternatives. I'm wondering when I decide to give a patient a certain medicine because of their financial circumstance and I'm kind of tailoring my medical recommendation to their finances instead of what may actually be best for them, am I kind of messing with some professional ethics? A terribly important question and issue, and I think it has been largely overlooked. There's an interesting dilemma that physicians face in the setting of greater cost sharing, And the dilemma is this. On the one hand, as you point out, there's an aspirational ethic to treat all patients with a single, uniformly high standard of care. But on the other hand, physicians are agents for their patients, just like real estate agents or lawyers are agents for their clients. And this agency role for physicians means that more and more as cost sharing increases, physicians are going to be 
affecting not just patients' medical well-being, but also their economic well-being. And the dilemma is that with greater and greater cost-sharing, this agency role and the aspirational role conflict. Well, you know, I I treat patients every day, and when I take their history, I I don't necessarily ask them for their most recent checking statement or savings account. (laughs) So what is really the best approach for a doctor to to address it with his patients or her patients without offending them? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and certainly not all patients are burdened by their out-of-pocket costs. Although, you know, even the ones that can afford it still don't want to pay, but that's another story. No one wants to pay for health care. Sure, sure. It's, it's a great question, and I think that it's important to recognize that not all patients are burdened by their out-of-pocket costs and that it's important to identify those that are burdened, particularly those that are burdened and the care is discretionary. So there are certainly cost-quality trade-offs that have to be navigated all the time in clinical practice, and I think what's most important is that physicians try to establish a climate where patients are comfortable raising concerns about their costs, that physicians take advantage of just-in-time opportunities like writing or renewing a prescription to see if the patient has particular concerns or serious burden. And last but not least is to use good, sound rules of clinical prescribing. I think a lot of the opportunity for physicians to help patients with their out-of-pocket costs is in the course of writing or renewing prescriptions. Now, in terms of healthcare spending, actually a lot more is spent on hospital care or physician services than is on prescription drugs. Prescription drugs only account for about 10% of all healthcare spending. But nevertheless, prescriptions are so commonly written or renewed, the use of prescriptions is so ubiquitous, and they're often cheaper, equally effective, and equally safe alternatives. So I think it's really a combination of establishing a safe climate where patients feel comfortable raising their concerns, taking advantage of just-in-time opportunities to raise questions with patients, and finally, using good rules of clinical prescribing. But you talked about the ubiquitousness of, if that's a word, of medicines, and it's kind of like candy to a lot of patients and even to physicians refilling these things. You know, you can just give three refills, five refills, 11 refills. When when can you say, you know what, I really need to see this patient every three months, even though the patient doesn't want to pay for it, but that might be what's best and not just refill their medicine? even if it costs them a little more to come in. Well, there was a terrific quote in the New York Times uh, several years ago by a researcher who said something to the effect of, these medicines are not candies. And, you know, another point that's often made about prescription drugs is that all medicines have risks and most medicines have serious risks. And so there's no question that both under-prescribing and over-prescribing are huge challenges and opportunities for patients and clinicians. Many conditions are undertreated, and we need to do a better job of identifying those conditions and getting patients on the right treatments. But there are also huge opportunities for cutting back, discontinuing, prioritizing prescription drugs. And all too often, I think that prescriptions may be written or renewed without adequate scrutiny. I think having patients come back rather than giving them a year supply often makes sense and in many cases is good medicine and the best practice. So it really depends upon the specific clinical context, but I hope that through my research and that of many, many other researchers that we will help to promote awareness about the benefits but also the dangers of prescription drugs and the importance of trying to improve prescribing quality. How should I document this? Do I need to write notes in my chart about discussing out-of-pocket costs with patients? And then if I don't do that, do I kind of expose myself to 
malpractice risks. I'm not aware of any evidence or even anecdote that any clinician got in trouble for not documenting this. And I think my own style is to focus much more on the quality of the relationship with a patient and in being sure to address these issues with a patient. So I think there's plenty that takes place in an exam room, as every physician knows, that never ends up in the chart. And rather than focus on getting the conversation on paper, I would encourage clinicians and patients alike to spend greater effort simply talking about these issues. Well, Caleb Alexander, thank you very much for talking with me today. Thank you. My guest was Dr. Caleb Alexander, an assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Chicago, and we discussed results of his research concerning patient-physician communication about out-of-pocket costs. You've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can now call us toll-free with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM-160. And thanks for listening. 